Henderson squeezed Polly's hand, knowing it would take at least ten minutes for Levi to gallop four miles into Campbellsville and another twenty minutes for the doctor's buggy to arrive, he asked anyways, Where's the damn doctor? Tell the children I love them, Henderson. I love. As Henderson moved closer to Polly, he stepped in front of the gap in the drapery, blocking the sun's ray. The room went dark. With an expulsion of air, Polly's voice stopped. It's my niche because I want other women and other young girls to know that it's possible, that you really can do that. Welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mustful, and today I'm delighted to be joined by S. Lee Fisher, author of the novel series, The Women of Campbell County. And I went through all these ideas and I thought, gee, you've really wanted to write, haven't you, Sherry? You just haven't admitted it to yourself. S. Lee Fisher is a pen name of clinical pharmacist Dr. Sherry Lee Fisher Progar. Retired from pharmacy practice in 2015, Fisher decided to use her right brain to pursue more creative endeavors. Now a full-time novelist, Fisher lives on the Gulf Coast of Florida with her husband of 37 years, Ralph. Today, I'll be talking to her about her novel series, The Women of Campbell County. I wonder if you could start by telling us more about Olive Westchester. I'm, I'm particularly interested and when did you meet her? When did she first form in your mind to become uh, the protagonist of your novels? Olive Westchester is actually the only character that I write that is based off of a real person. Olive is my grandmother, my maternal grandmother. Um, Olive was born in this work in 1902, and I believe my grandmother was born in 1903, so they're almost exactly the same age. And Olive grew up on a rather well-to-do farm, and so did my grandmother. I remember as a young adult, uh, I had a four-wheel drive, and my grandmother asked me at uh, one of my trips home to visit my parents if I would take her to the old homestead. Uh, there was no longer an, uh, 
an accessible road. So we needed to use the four-wheel drive to get back into her old farm. I took her up to the homestead, and it was basically um, a spring house and um, just the foundation of what you could tell was a grand old manor house in the middle of no place in the woods and none of the farmland was uh, recognizable as such. It was all overgrown. And it was a bittersweet moment for my grandmother. I think it had been the first time she'd been back in probably 50 years, but she was very happy to uh, relive some of her childhood um, 50 years later. And at that, when I first started playing with the idea of creating this character all of around my grandmother, I knew I had to take her back to a grand farmhouse and a grand estate that uh, was the, the, the height of the county during its heyday. And what were you able to find out about the, the height of it, the county during its heyday? I mean, what kind of research did you do to put yourself back in the shoes of your grandmother? Um, I like to pride myself on research. I did a lot of um, research of uh, local resources. There are several local historical societies. Um, so I've done research through them. Uh, I'm a member of the DAR, so the Daughters of the American Revolution, and I have access to a lot of research through them also. Uh, it was fun. I went exploring cemeteries at one point just to have a look at the headstones of these ancestors and the ancestors that would have been Olive's parents and grandparents. And they were the grandest um, markers in the cemetery. So, it, you know, her stories held true with the research and what I discovered and, you know, seeing the actual headstones and they're in their grand state all these years later uh, just reemphasized that she really wasn't telling stories about the life on the farm. It really was grand life on the farm. Uh, I did a lot of research just on how to can fruits and vegetables because they would have done their own canning and uh, the addition of a summer kitchen. Uh, the Grand Estates had kitchens outside of the main house. In the one I've written in Westchester Farms, they have double kitchens. They have a kitchen inside the house and uh, the duplicate kitchen outside of the house that's served as the summer kitchen. So when it, it was the heat of the summer, they weren't heating the inside of the structure. They did all their cooking and baking outside. Um, I did research just on the types of crops they might have grown 
and the types of animals they would have uh, housed. So um, I really looked into farm life, the types of uh, equipment they would have used and tried to immerse myself in, in that setting. One of the interesting elements of historical fiction is that it incorporates so much more than just historical facts and historical documents like you were just talking about. And I know here where I live, we have a, a working farm museum called the, the Kelly Farm in Elk River, Minnesota. Uh, did you get a chance to visit any places like that that, give, that let you see what life was like and maybe experience it firsthand? I didn't visit any working farms or any establishments like that specifically for research, but I've been fortunate to travel my entire life and every place I've gone, um, I, I go into those types of establishments or museums that incorporate um, practices of old. Uh, I, I've done extensive travel in England and Ireland, and you know we were in the old thatched houses and got to witness farming, uh, rural farming in those settings. And um, I've just I've been lucky to have been exposed to that all my life. So I kind of just store that information someplace up in my brain and hope that it's useful at some point in time and I can pull it out. Uh, Colonial Williamsburg is a great place to uh, go for um, a, uh, a historical farming experience. Uh, I visited a lot of battlefields, uh, Civil War battlefields, and they always have enactments, and that often includes the civilian life and mostly of you know rural farming life. So I, I've been to I've been exposed to that my entire life. Yeah, it's it's always a fun experience. I wonder if the people doing those those jobs know how much they're helping novelists like you or I when we go to those places. They probably have no idea. And when I'm there, if they're in character uh, in in a, a particular time period, I try to be in character too. And they find it amusing because most people don't do that you know they just sure. blow them off and but I really do I try to go back well we've uh, talked about your character Olive but uh, let's talk about some of the other women of Campbell County um, who are these these women and can you talk a little bit about the historical context of their lives the next set of women in Campbell County other than Olive's siblings and she has several sisters uh, would be Olive's offspring. Olive has four daughters, one son and Olive's four daughters 
our experience, we, we jump forward uh, in the saga and they all experience the Depression and World War II in different ways. And I try to incorporate that part of history into their everyday lives. Um, the two oldest of Olive's daughters actually are Rosie the Riveters. They go to work in the factories. And the third daughter babysits their children for them so that they can go off and work for the war effort. Uh, the youngest daughter, Harriet, is actually the protagonist in the last two books, and she's still in high school. And I write how Harriet struggles for an education, just like her mother struggled for an education. But 40 years later, and how she too, in the late 40s and early 50s, really is denied the opportunity um, because it's basically a male world still. And she really has to fight these personal battles to get that education that she so desires. Um, there's a little conflict between all of and her daughter Harriet, because Harriet is a lot like Olive in many ways, but doesn't want to admit that she's like her mother. Uh, Olive can be a very bitter woman at times, and Harriet doesn't want to think of herself as such, but she is. And then the last woman of Campbell County of value is Harriet's daughter, Shelby. So we go through this generational saga, and Shelby is actually the one that convinces her mother how much she's like her grandmother. We have these um, everyday lives set in the historical setting of these remarkable women from Campbell County and how they deal with it. I want to ask you more about writing a generational saga. I've written five novels and each one is it's hard enough to keep the details straight, like the physical characteristics of characters and birth dates and things like that. I'm wondering, do you have a hard time with this four book series having them all connected? Uh, do you have a hard time keeping those facts straight or what's your method for making sure you don't have any discrepancies? In my prior life before writing, uh, I had a business career, so I'm pretty uh, pretty good with Excel spreadsheets. I keep everything on Excel spreadsheets. Every project has its own spreadsheet. Every spreadsheet has multiple tabs. There's a tab just with character names and a brief description. Uh, I may insert a blurb on that tab, what chapter they appear, especially if they're a secondary or tertiary character. I may just add what chapter 
I introduce them in, so I don't have to go look. There's a tab just of timelines, so everything is arranged chronologically. I use that tab an awful lot. It helps me keep my dates straight. Uh, on that tab, I'll have first, middle, and last names, date of birth, date of death. And then if my writing jumps uh, from one, say, 10 years into the future, then I actually do a formula in the spreadsheet that tells me everybody's age in that year. So I have a column of everybody's ages at that particular point in in the novel. Um, I have a tab where I do a lot of research just on product description. I want to make sure that I'm not introducing, I mean, we're talking about women that in everyday life, so they're using products, familiar products. I want to make sure I'm not introducing a product before it's actually been marketed. I want to make sure I'm describing the product container or the box accurately for that time frame. So I have just a sheet of uh, a tab in that spreadsheet just of product descriptions. Uh, I might research the top uh, billboard songs of 1950. I'll keep all that, the, all those little tidbits of information on, on that one particular spreadsheet. So that's really how I do it. I have a spreadsheet for every project. Wow, you sound very organized. Well, like you said, when when you're writing multi-generational, multi-works, it's really easy to be confused. Uh, I think I was probably four chapters into becoming all of W when I realized, even though they're my characters and I'm the one that's making all this up, I couldn't remember anything. And that's when I started the spreadsheet and I just kept with it because it was just so much easier. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it saved a lot of headaches and and it just goes to show all the the intricacies that goes goes into to writing a, a novel series. There's a lot to it. Uh, unless you write yourself, you have no idea what goes into it. You just pick up a book, you read it, you like it, you don't like it. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you about. Um, I guess I would call it your your niche, and that's. Defying male dominance. You you write on the on the description of the book by becoming Olive W to defy male dominance today. Can you talk more about that that mission and why you chose to to chose that niche? I chose that niche because from the moment I was conceived in my mother's womb, she had the goal that I would be an independent woman and I would never have to depend on a man. That doesn't mean I don't want companionship and that I don't like uh, having a man in my life. I do. 
it, but it means that financially I can take care of myself emotionally. If I'm alone, I can be alone and not be sad or depressed. Um, and that was her mission in life for her two girls. She ha I have a sister who is four years younger than I, and that was my mother's mission. She, she was the uh, 1950s mother that was still living in a male-dominant world, and she had wanted an education and did get some level of higher education from high school. She went to business school, secretarial and business school, and had a two-year associate degree. But I think deep down in her mind, she wanted to at least have a bachelor's degree. And even though our family grew up in a similar setting, rural Pennsylvania. My father was a laborer. No one in our family went to college, but I grew up thinking of nothing but going to college. It was like the, the thought of not going to college never crossed my mind. She just made sure from the moment I was thinking independently that she planted that seed that I would go to college and my 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 personal goal was to fulfill her goal of never having to depend on a man for financial or emotional support and I think I accomplished that and it's my niche because I want other women and other young girls to know that it's possible, that you really can do that. And can you can you talk a little bit more about maybe the message you want uh, young girls and women to get from from these characters? Maybe maybe young women who don't have that a strong connection to the past and what people had to go to to change things, to fight for these rights? Boy, that's that's a loaded question. There's so much more that goes into it than what I write about. But I think since I write about the not-so-distant history, meaning the 20th century, I, I really want young women to know that it wasn't until the 70s or the 80s that women really started to come into their own rights. Uh, I went to pharmacy school, and I graduated from pharmacy school in 1977. My graduating class was the first class that was more women than men. So it wasn't until 77 that we started to see this equality between the genders in um, professional degrees. So it's really not that far in the past that women have come into their own. And I really would like 
younger readers to know that their their mothers and that and their grandmothers really had um, a struggle on their hands. And if they're strong, independent women, then kudos because they did what was necessary to become that way. You talk about attending pharmacy school. Can you talk briefly about your transition from uh, pharmaceuticals uh, to being a novelist? Uh, actually, I practiced retail pharmacy for 25 years. And at that point in my life, uh, I switched sides and went into uh, the PBM side of the business, which is pharmacy benefit manager. And I had a really nice job. I ran retrospective clinical programs for a Fortune 20 company. And I had about 90 pharmacists reporting to me, plus support personnel. And my territory was Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Phoenix. So I did a lot of traveling. It wasn't until I actually retired from from the PBM that I started writing. Um, I had such a full job and it, you know, it was one of these 16 hour a day jobs. And when I retired, I was lost. You can only play so many rounds of Mahjong and so many rounds of golf. I mean, I, I was just lost. I needed a purpose. And I didn't realize it at the time. But I started digging through old files and I found these ideas for stories that I had jotted down all through my career. And I really didn't, I didn't realize I was doing it. And I went through all these ideas and I thought, gee, you've really wanted to write, haven't you, Sherry? You just haven't admitted it to yourself. And I, um, I still put it on a backbone burner. I didn't uh, recognize or admit that that was what I wanted to do until my dad took sick and I was daddy's little girl. And when daddy was sick, I needed a way to actually channel all those emotions I was feeling uh, about losing my father. And I started writing and that was the bridge. It was... The desire, I guess, was always there. I wasn't willing to recognize it. And it was my dad, the man who championed me to go to college in the first place when his brother said, don't send her to school. You're wasting your money. He championed me and said, if Sherry wants to go to school, she'll go to school. He's the one that brought me into this next phase of my life through channeling the pain of his death. Well, good for you. And and now that you are a full-time novelist, you've enjoyed a lot of success, I would say. You won or been a, or been a finalist for numerous awards. How does that feel? And, and you know, when you first sat down to write, did were you did you ever expect that kind of success? No, I published one book called A Mystery of Grace before I published the series. And 
I went back and read it and said, oh my God, you really don't know what you're doing. So I decided at that point in time, uh, I needed to go back and take some classes on just really how to hone my writing skills about the business of writing, how to publish. I, I, I was, I knew nothing. And I was lucky it happened during COVID. So I actually took advantage of being isolated through COVID and took all these online classes, mentored college lectures, writing lectures. And I spent a year and a half just really learning about the business of writing and how to write, how to develop a story, how to develop characters. And then I set out on writing The Women of Campbell County. Uh, no, I never thought that I would accomplish what I did. And now that I I have... I've into I'm into my next project and I have I have these readers reaching out from places that I you know I have no idea how they found me and they're asking what's your next project I hope you're still writing and we can't wait to read your next book and it it's like wow it just it blows my mind it really does it's just the greatest feeling to accomplish something as a second career. And can you tell us what you're working on next? Oh, I can. Let's see. If I have my elevator pitch down, it uh, it is three female owners of one single ring. The ownership takes place over three different time periods in history. And owner two and owner three get together and go on a quest to discover the original owner of the ring. Well, it sounds very ambitious, but it also sounds like you you really enjoy it. So I'm sure it'll be another success. I hope so. I hope so. One of uh, the the last the third. It's a three book series. And the last book will be set in Rondo, Spain. And I actually went to that part of Spain in a previous trip. So I got to do some in-person research there. Well, Sherry, congratulations on the success of the Women of Campbell County. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed our talk tonight. Well, I want to ask you, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to agree with you.